It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. Today's episode is lit by the White Ash Group, North America's premier choice for cannabis staffing, recruitment, and executive search. Are you ready to get hired to be yourself in the cannabis space? Visit whiteashgroup.com and proactively add yourself to their cannabis jobs database and a recruitment expert will reach out. As for you industry trailblazers out there leading the way, White Ash Group provides top-tier talent and tailored hiring solutions for multi-state operators, LPs, the vape and tech industries, retail operations, product and lifestyle brands. From seed to sale, roots to suits, and everything in between, White Ash Group delivers pre-screened, pre-vetted candidates fast. Understanding the cannabis culture is invaluable in a new hire. So if your company is in building mode, visit whiteashgroup.com to learn more. Tell them Joe sent you. I like to go the extra mile for my podcast patrons. The reciprocation of love and support is such a good feeling. So today's podcast is for Amanda. Amanda is a lovely podcast patron who is ready to start a family. And like many of you highly responsible cannabis consumers out there, she and her partner have lots of questions and concerns about cannabis use during pregnancy. So I called up my friend and cannabis scientist, Dr. Linda Clumpers, to help me unpack Amanda's questions about cannabis and pregnancy. Linda has a PhD in cannabis pharmacology 
and has spent her career studying cannabinoids, the endocannabinoid system, and their effects on humans. Linda is co-founder of Verdient Science, specializing in cannabinoid science and research. She's also the creator of Canify, an online educational tool for making cannabis science approachable and useful for the individual consumer. Linda has 14 years of clinical research in cannabis, and she's co-authored 10 peer-reviewed publications in the field of cannabinoids. Linda splits her time in research studies between her current home in Colorado and where she was born and raised in the Netherlands. On today's podcast, we discuss tolerance breaks, cannabis use during pregnancy, postpartum depression, and tools to help you responsibly personalize your cannabis experience. We also explore cultural differences around cannabis and pregnancy and the importance of communication in creating a plan that works for you. The theme of this podcast might be pregnancy, but it's really for anyone questioning their cannabis consumption. And spoiler alert, it's not going to be black and white. So if you spy some green, grind it up, light it up, and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one toe. Linda, happy Friday. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Ah, thank you for inviting me, Joe. Yeah, and I actually invited you for some really tough subject matter. But after going through my Rolodex, I couldn't think of anybody better to tackle the subject matter of cannabis and pregnancy. Because, I mean, this is a super controversial topic. Yeah, it certainly is. And you can interpret that in various ways, huh? Expert yeah. in cannabis and pregnancy. Well, let's see. <laughs> well, I'll start by rereading the listener message that I had received. Um, that way we can refresh both of our memories to get this party started. I do have one question I've been meaning to ask, and I would love it if you were able to address it on the podcast sometime in the future. My husband and I are thinking about having kids soon as I am not getting any younger. I have yet to take a successful tolerance break in two years, so I know it would be difficult to give it up during pregnancy and later if I'm able to breastfeed. But then it occurred to me that I might not need to stop using it. I would primarily just opt out of smoking it. Since it's only recently been legalized, I know medical research is still so behind. Do you know anything about using cannabis, edibles, tinctures, topicals, during pregnancy? I've poked around on a few blogs and forums, and several women say that cannabis helps hugely with morning sickness, anxiety, and certain aches and pains. But most of these women smoked during pregnancy, and I'm just not comfortable with that. I've also read that it can be used in labor to ease pain of contractions and giving birth, and that it takes a lot of THC in order to pass it on to the baby via blood or breast milk, meaning that the baby wouldn't be affected at all. I got scared when I read that some hospitals will test your baby's blood for THC and, if present, call Child Protective Services. Since I live in the legal state of California, I don't know if they would enforce this, but I'm too afraid to ask. I know I could significantly reduce my usage during pregnancy, but I would love to know if the occasional edible from time to time would be healthy and safe, and if there are other common uses during pregnancy and the fourth trimester 
when postpartum depression will certainly come for me. I'll stop here, but I have plenty more questions related to this topic if you end up doing an episode. Thanks in advance, Amanda. That's a lot. <laughs> Amanda's got a lot on her mind. Yeah, and, and and I understand that. It's really important. But there are so many elements in this message. It's about, um, about safety, about pharmacology, about legality. Um, she's asking about different administration methods, about uh, effects. It's, uh, yeah, there, there, there's a lot. So if she has more questions, maybe it's worth another podcast. <laughs> yeah. And I did message her yesterday saying like, hey, Linda and I are tackling this tomorrow morning. If you do have those extra questions, send them now. But she didn't. So yeah, we've got plenty to tackle today. So I guess if we started at the top of her email and talk about tolerance breaks for people. So if you're a regular daily consumer of cannabis and someone's looking to take a tolerance break, on that scientific side of things, I've learned through my own epigenetic coaching that we all have, you know, a different kind of tendency to either be addicted to something or not. And so, you know, what kind of practical things um, can you glean from the science and the research you've done on tolerance breaks? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, indeed, you're right that um, uh, uh, whether you get dependent on something is, is very different from person to person. Um, uh, roughly uh, one third of the population um, can more easily get dependent on substances than other people. But it doesn't mean that if you are already using it for a long time, you will not feel the effects when you stop. Uh, your body gets used um, to these cannabinoids and will respond to it. Uh, in the in the case of of, of this cannabis use, um, what will happen if you take um, a tolerance break, uh, so to say, is that your body will need to get used to not getting the cannabis intake anymore. Um, and one very noticeable effect is um, with sleep. Uh, people have a hard time stopping uh, using cannabis. Um, because they will not sleep so well. And some people might even believe that they need the cannabis to sleep well, uh, which is, of course, actually not the case because um, cannabis will um, reduce, will inhibit your REM sleep. That's the time um, uh, in, during your sleep that you will get uh, dreams. And if you stop using cannabis, then all these dreams all of a sudden get free and people will... Will will get nightmares, very vivid dreams. Will not sleep well. So that that is one effect. That's one thing that can happen when you stop using cannabis. Um, but something else that might sound a little bit unexpected, on the other hand, is that um, within two days your body notices, hey, um, uh, there are not as many cannabinoids anymore coming into the body. So we need to bring back the receptor levels to normal levels again. And that means that. If you decide to start using cannabis after, let's say, three days, um, it might hit you way harder because your receptor level is already back to normal levels. And um, yeah, you might need to adjust your dose. So there are many different things that will happen after you take a tolerance break. Well, and one of the things that I would tell people whenever I'm doing my lifestyle coaching is that, you know, 
I kind of visualize our receptors as these little buckets and, you know, we fill them up with the THC, but then when the bucket's full, it just starts overflowing. So, you know, you just, you can't get any higher than you are. And then once you're, you know, taking that break, it's like your endocannabinoid system is emptying the buckets, washing them out, getting everything ready again. And so then all of a sudden you smoke or you consume and you fill that bucket up and you can really, really feel it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't talk about buckets, but I like <laughs> So if somebody is saying, I've struggled taking a tolerance break, what then? Yeah, it's very, very understandable um, because it's hard. It's it's super hard. Uh, so it's really a matter of what do you want? Do you uh, do you do you really want to continue and and stop with it to- this tolerance break? I mean, if we are talking really practically about this pregnancy, um, being pregnant uh, means so many changes to your body. So you probably don't want to experiment with a, a tolerance break while you are already pregnant because so much is going on. You probably want to do that before. Um, but yeah, um, uh, whether to use cannabis or, or, or not is then really a question. Well, so what about t- CBD? So say we want to just take, uh, you know, a tolerance break. If you just cut out the THC and leave the CBD in the system, like, that's cool. Is that cool with pregnancy? I mean, what do we, what are our thoughts there? Yeah, we don't know. So um, if we go back to the buckets, to the receptors, uh, CBD practically does not really work on cannabinoid receptors. They do. Uh, at certain high dosages, but uh, the primary uh, effects uh, of CBD that that you notice and that CBD is known for, um, that all goes uh, outside of the endocannabinoid system. So we're talking about very different systems then. And um, there simply hasn't been any research on that. All right. See, we're already we're already hitting roadblocks. So, you know, there are conflicting thoughts on cannabis for wellness during pregnancy. So if we are talking about conservative ways to medicate, you know, and she was saying, okay, I don't want to smoke because that just doesn't feel good to me, but what about tinctures, edibles, you know, topicals? For me, the most conservative way to medicate when I was thinking about this was obviously you use your topicals for that localized pain relief. But then for me, it was more the tinctures over an edible. Because the edible, it's going to have that second, you know, pass through your metabolism. And, and, and so I'm like, okay, well, if you're concerned about, a, you know, a fetus, then or is it just better with the tincture? That way you get, um, it's only going through one pass through your metabolism. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think that um, uh, regarding the topicals, what you bring up, uh, that's a really good point. So uh, topical means indeed it only works locally. So if you put it on your uh, your skin, it means it stays there. It might um, uh, affect the local receptors in your skin because uh, your skin has a cannabinoid system as well. Um, but it will not go through the deeper skin layers and eventually reach the bloodstream so that it will be transported through your body. So uh, if it's THC and you don't get high from using it, it's probably not reaching your brain and it might also not reach um, 
the baby, let's say, um, the fetus. So, yeah, I agree that uh, the topicals um, are, are the best way if you don't want to um, yeah, affect uh, the, the unborn child. Um, with regards to uh, edible or tincture, that's a really good good question and actually also a bit of a problem. Um, I don't want to call it a complete roadblock. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, we don't know. So I can tell you what we do know. Uh, what we do know. Because um, there are many, many different tinctures, sublinguals or mucosals, however you want to call it. Anything you put in your mouth and that you keep there for a while. There are actually uh, around 2,000 of those products um, on, the, on the cannabis market. Uh, probably way more than that. Um, in the United States alone. So there, there are many. Uh, if you look at the scientific literature, there are only two products, cannabis products, that have really been studied well. Well, well, that's also a far stretch, but that have been studied in the mouth uh, sublingually. And if you look at both of these products, um, they're called... Um, Sadifex or Nabiximols, uh, produced by GW Pharmaceuticals. And the other one is uh, Namisol. Um, Nabiximols is uh, THC plus CBD. And then the other one, Namisol, is THC uh, sublingually um, by Echo Pharmaceuticals. Disclaimer, that last product is, um, and that last study I'm talking about is a study that uh, I'm the first author of myself. Uh, but from both both these um, sublingual products, uh, it was found that they are not showing any differences in terms of, um, we call that pharmacokinetics, so in terms of plasma concentration, in terms of metabolism uh, of THC and the metabolites, they're not significantly different from orals, which, and, and actually, in fact, um, the, the peak concentration of both the products were a little bit later in time uh, compared to um, the peak concentration of, of THC in the metabolites of oral. So it means maybe it does go inside your interstitial tissue, sits there for a while, and then decides, okay, let's go into the bloodstream. But then it does not really correspond entirely to the... Um, active metabolite profile you see so what you were talking about is um if you take an oral it will go uh, to your intestines where it will be absorbed and then sent to the liver first before going to the rest through the rest of your body in the liver it is broken down uh, in the case of thc to um active metabolites uh, called uh, 11 hydroxy thc um, and they might even if you have a high ratio of those metabolites to thc so relatively high amount of those metabolites. Uh, sorry, I hope I don't get too scientific here. But um, it's, uh, it will give relatively stronger effects. It seems like they will, it will give strong effects. And you are saying if you take them in your mouth transmucosally, so sublingually, for example, or buccal spray, you will um, uh, skip the liver and therefore you will not get these active metabolites. And therefore, the effects are different. Uh, that is all in theory because it works that way for some medications. For cannabis, it hasn't been proven yet. So we just don't know if that's the case. And we also don't know if that means that it has different effects on the on the fetus. There's just not enough research on that. But yeah, again, topical uh, is probably way better than uh, edible if you do not want to uh, affect 
the the unborn child. Certainly. But here's the thing. A topical is not going to help me with my anxiety. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I know that I know that that research isn't there yet, but I do know that our own anecdotal experiences of, you know, using some sort of sublingual mucosal delivery versus the edible, I know that I'm not high near as long and I know that you know, a few hours into the experience where you all of a sudden have this peaking effect where you are having that um, that more intense experience. Uh, I just think for myself, like, okay, if I couldn't take a tolerance break and I was going to do it, like based on my anecdotal experience, that's what I would, that's what would feel safer for me. But you're right. I mean, each person has to really have that almost like really pay attention. So say I want I want to have a baby. I'm I'm getting ready for this experience. Really start dialing in what your relationship with cannabis is, how each of these things affect you, what truly is your minimum viable dosage. Like, you know, what is my sweet spot so that you can make sure that if you are going to do it, you won't be over-medicating. You will be taking just what you need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, back to your experience with products. Um, I just want to uh, stress again that there are like 2,000 of such products on the market. So everybody might be different, but also there are huge differences between these products made in different ways. Uh, some on an ethanol base, alcohol base, some on... Uh, with, with oil so there are big big differences there um yeah and then um you're getting ready um what to do next uh well uh, that is a very important point you brought up uh, not just about the dosing but also about the why uh, you have to be aware of your body changing completely um, we're talking about um, uh, a lady here that might be using because she is um, uh, afraid for withdrawal or afraid that she might get symptoms why she f back for why, why she is using cannabis for now. Uh, so that could be anxiety, for example. Uh, but besides that, there are also people who might not really be cannabis users and might not have that problem uh, of, of potential withdrawal or um, uh, getting anxious. But they might get pregnant and experience morning sickness, for example, uh, or get anxiety due to pregnancy or during pregnancy. And um, yeah, then you might be all mentally prepared on, on what you wanted to do. Uh, but then what, right? Yeah. And then your hormones change and you feel like a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. So with all of your studying of cannabinoids and the endocannabinoid system, is there alternatives to, like, is there other plant medicine? What other things might someone do to affect that, you know, mood and their autoimmune system and appetite, all of those different things? Is there an alternative? Yeah. So, um, oh, that's a really tough question because there are so many different symptoms that we can be looking at uh, and so many different uh, medicines that we uh, uh, can be looking at. Um, well, um, and, and everything 
before a medicine reaches the market, there should be very thorough testing. And um, the way medicines are tested get more thorough and more thorough and more thorough. And uh, actually one of uh, the reasons why there are such strict regulations on medicine testing uh, in humans is actually because of a morning sickness medication in pregnancy. Did, did you know about that? No. Tell me more. Yeah. So uh, that was um, a medicine. It's still on the market for various uh, reasons, but absolutely not for morning sickness in pregnancy anymore. Um, I think it, it might even not, never have really reached for this indication of market in the United States, if I'm thinking about it. I think it was only in Europe. Um, it was called um, uh, softenon uh, or uh, thalidomide. And uh, that was used by uh, mothers against morning sickness in the beginning uh, of the pregnancy in the late 1950s and 60s. And it was disastrous. The huge number of children born from these pregnancies had huge deformities. So oh, yeah. they had all kinds of bodily malformations. They had, um, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, no arms, no legs, so your, your hands directly uh, attached to your body. Uh, after testing, it, it turned out that thalidomide was responsible uh, for these malformations. So right now, that is not an option for morning sickness anymore. Uh, but these type of fears are, are exactly the reason why on new medication, uh, it is said, don't use it during pregnancy because you don't know. And um, now now back to plant medicine, <laughs> because this is completely different. But I just wanted to, to tell that uh, a normal medication for a normal adult can be working really fine um, but can have huge uh, consequences for the baby. And I'm absolutely not translating this to cannabis. Um, but I, I, I want to bring up how, how important this is. Um, so yeah, are there alternatives? Um, that is really something that needs to be discussed for, with the doctor and that is uh, dependent um, on uh, each medication. Uh, because every medicine has uh, is used for different symptoms and not every medication can be used during pregnancy, uh, clearly. Um, what a doctor thinks, so you have, you have opinions from scientists and then you have opinions by doctors. Doctors uh, do not always know the literature very well, but they have a lot of experience with their own uh, clients. And there are, you know, sometimes things aren't as black and white. Uh, just as you told me before we start the podcast, that's that's so true. And different physicians also have very different opinions about what to do. Um, it's always a balancing act between risk and benefit. Always. Um, and then per symptom, you'll need to look at what is the best solution for that particular case. And uh, many doctors are convinced that cannabis is a potential viable option depending on the symptom that someone is um, is uh, yeah suffering from but there are many many different uh, studies that came out with different outcomes well if you like we cannot go over some studies we can go over some um, uh, opinions by physicians because uh, I, I looked some up for you actually okay yeah I mean, I'm curious because this is, I, I think one of, 
and this may either lead into some of this stuff or you can tell me this was a really crazy question and that you have no idea. So does a fetus's metabolism mirror the mom's in the womb? So for example, me, I metabolize THC very quickly. It does not stay in my system very long. If I had a fetus in my body, would my fetus's metabolism match mine? Yeah, I honestly don't uh, don't don't know too much about fetuses, so I honestly <laughs> don't know <laughs> uh, to what extent uh, the liver of the fetus uh, can already be active. I mean, in the beginning, it clearly is not. Eh? If it doesn't have right. a liver, it can't metabolize it. <laughs> uh, but uh, but you always need to um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, assume that whatever goes through your body could go through the fetus's body as well. And uh, that is also true for uh, the time after birth and um, during lactation. Yeah. So tell me some of these uh, some of these opinions from doctors that you looked up that you think, um, you know, have some sort of a viable conclusion perhaps. Well, yeah, so, so it's again, it's different from everyone. And just to go back to the kind of history on this, um, uh, many doctors will tell people not to use cannabis during pregnancy. And uh, this ha can have um, can be influenced by study outcomes, but it can also be influenced by uh, just the mere fact we don't know what it's doing exactly, so rather not do it. And that is also what is reflected um, by many physicians here. Uh, so I got some physicians' opinions uh, that I got from um, uh, a, a cannabis newspaper that uh, yeah, I've been following for years. It's a pretty old newspaper. It's called O'Shaughnessy's, and their website is beyondthc.com. And yeah, yeah, you might know it. I do it. I do know it. One of my friends turned me on to it. I'm like, this is a cannabis nerd's delight. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, some of the doctor's opinions that you can find on beyondthc.com slash cannabis dash and dash pregnancy um, is here from a physician called Dean Weiss, who said um, uh, that I'm more concerned about the high potency extracts and edibles. So there is someone who is actually distinguishing between uh, several products. You mean it, this person says way more. Eh? Uh, he says, um, what are actually medical purposes? First trimester morning sickness. Um, and uh, all the prescription options are either potentially harmful um, or worthless. Is it anxiety, uh, pre-existing conditions like musculoskeletal issues or headaches? Um, so, um, ask the person who brought this issue up to define medical in the year 2015, because that's what, what the, when this was published. Uh, personally, I have zero concerns about pregnancy and cannabis. I'm more concerned about the high potency extracts and edibles. I think those fun, uh, of them are making holes in their brains. Well, that's a bit extreme. Uh, way beyond yeah. the potency of a fat doobie of cannabis cup winning ganja. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's a really good point. I mean, we're talking about cannabis, and in the in the beginning of the podcast, you already asked about THC versus CBD. Uh, this person is talking about high um, high potency, so high concentration THC extracts and edibles, which is completely different from uh, yeah something maybe carrying eight percent THC. Uh, 
So that's a really good point and an interesting way to look at it. And you have to look at it that way. Yeah. Because if you talk. Well, and I, I think as for a mom, I mean, somebody who is wanting to bring life into the world, I don't think they're going to, you know, take down a hundred milligram edible, you know, <laughs> I think these are people that are like, okay, I'm really stressed out. I'm having anxiety. I'm nauseous. Can I have this five or 10 milligrams of chocolate to make me feel better and soothe myself? Yeah, you would think. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're exactly right. Everybody's not like me. Yeah, no, but 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 I'm not saying that to uh, yeah to, to, to <laughs> anything nasty to anyone. I, just to, just to put things in perspective. So um, yeah, you know that uh, um, I have a website called Canify um, Canify.us with a, a questionnaire um, that has all kinds of pharmacological questions and that will. Uh, eventually leads to a personalized report on cannabis science and product matches. Um, and um, in the beginning stages of this website, I was extensively testing this on people. And I was not just uh, sending them the questionnaire and say, hey, what do you think? But I was literally standing behind people's backs, filling it in to see what do they do? What do they say? How do they respond? And um, I have had the case, I will just, um, a few times, but I will mention one of them, in which um, someone was filling in the questionnaire. And uh, this is a person who uses cannabis on a daily uh, basis. Um, uh, but then let's say uh, starting the morning with a dab and uh, taking another, yeah, taking hits from a bong whenever possible and taking dabs whenever possible, uh, whenever this person is at home. And uh, on the weekends, um, if there are no appointments, then the dabs just go on the entire day. So this is clearly uh, someone um, from a scientific perspective with a heavy use. Uh, this yeah. person, yeah, I, I showed this person the algorithms behind what we do and said, look, here you are classified as a heavy user. And, and I want to continue with the algorithm say, hey, what, what, wait, heavy user? I'm a heavy user? No, I'm not a heavy <laughs> user. And we had this whole discussion about how we define a naive person versus um, someone who's not so experienced versus uh, an intermediate user and a, and, a, and a high user and he just could not believe he was a high user and so therefore I was telling you you think because <laughs> yeah. it was such different interpretation well that's really funny you say that because I wanted to complete the Canify survey before I talked to you and I got to the question where it was like okay just what are the things that you use and tell me how you use them and I was like, okay, well, I dab, I smoke, I use sublingual, I use, I use this tincture, I use this. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to take me three hours to fill out this one page. Because, well, but that was the thing. I'm like, okay, I don't know whenever, you know, I know that there's, you know, 79% THC in this concentrate. But if I take as what I call it, a baby dab. If I take a baby dab of that, I don't know how many milligrams of THC I just consumed. So I was like, oh, I don't know how to measure what I'm doing. So I was like, I got to pause and ask Linda. 
Yeah, it's it's a huge issue. So thank you for bringing it up. It is a it, that's the the most terrible page of our quiz is exactly that page. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I've gotten feedback from people who said, "Yeah, now I have to run around the whole house to get all the uh, the boxes from my edibles." <laughs> yeah, I know. The reason why we have that question in there though is uh, to know what your baseline level is, what you can handle, because we don't want to. Uh, yeah, you don't want to overdose yourself. You don't want to underdose yourself. Um, so uh, that's why the question is really important, but it's also hard. So we still have to find a user-friendly way uh, to fill that in. Uh, but then, of course, you as a scientist, so sorry for the people who find science boring, but as a scientist, you want to know, uh, do people fill this in in an accurate way? And uh, there are various studies, actually, that have looked at this. So they uh, had people tell them you have to fill in how much do you think you're using and then the researchers would actually investigate the material and see how much they were actually using and uh, there are different um, uh, estimation differences actually between uh, people who use different products but also between males and females um, um, typically overestimating what they use but th that's a good point it's a good point and it's really hard for you to fill in as a user and for us to think how do we get the information we need um, as researchers. So that's, that's tough. Yeah. And I was curious if there was a, you know, if, if you had developed some sort of formula that, you know, that we could figure that out where it's like, okay, there's, you know, 80% THC in this package. You use it over this amount of time. Like what's that math? Um, in the, in the meantime, I was just like, okay, I just want to put like this is the milligrams of the flower that I smoke or the concentrates and then let let your algorithm figure out the rest. But I just think it's a great online tool. And the thing that's so great about it is that literally everything relies on scientific proof. Like this thing is, your whole website is a cannabis educational resource. But then as these algorithms are working, it is pulling from scientific data because you, my friend, you walk the line of science. You're like, I don't care what your anecdotal evidence is. Like, we're talking about science here. Well, no, we need that. We need that. So I appreciate that you show up in that way. And this is a really great tool. And it could be really helpful to, you know, for somebody who is wanting to start on this journey of like, okay, I am getting ready to have kids Let's let's see what this looks like. Let's see what my roadmap looks like um, in, and go from there. So what kind of things have you discovered from people that are going through this and how it's changed their relationship with cannabis? Sure. Um, uh, so just, just a note on the anecdotal evidence, because I know a lot of people don't care about anecdotal uh, information. Um, I do care about it, uh, but... What I can't do as a scientist is say that if you, uh, as an individual, have experienced something, that it means that this is what it is. This is proof that it works this way. Uh, that is unfortunately uh, not true um, because from an individual case, it's really uh, you cannot draw any conclusions for other people. And therefore, anecdotal uh, information is... A, an incredible great start for further research. Uh, but um, a lot of people who say that they want to have this information uh, in scientific algorithms like the Canify quiz, uh, we just can't do that because you can, again, not translate it for everyone. 
Um, so we care, but we cannot always do anything directly yeah. with it. Actually, uh, yeah. Well, and the other thing with the anecdotal piece is, you know, were you on your period that day? Had you just eaten? Like even our own daily, um, I don't know, the way we show up. Like this morning, I'm really freaking tired. And if I were to have smoked before I had this talk with you, I probably would have been super hazy. So I, I skipped my wake and bake this morning for you. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. But you're right. You're right. There's so many uh, factors that that can influence um, effects, outcomes. We call those parameters. Um, so many of them that indeed uh, you need to. And even if you if you take a, a group of, let's say, 1000 people uh, and you look at all different types of parameters and influencers, then even uh, you don't know always what you're looking at. And, and that is actually very much the case um for uh, pregnancy and cannabis use so um there um there is um an organization the national academies of sciences engineering and mathematics that um published uh, publishes a cannabis report periodically the last time they did so was in 2017 what they do is they look at all kinds of um studies reviews and then they will um so a review is is let's say um um a, a summary of what they think from um study outcomes so they take all of that information and they review it themselves and uh, then they make a report with the outcomes and they say okay we think that there's this level of evidence for making this claim about um yeah cannabis and um symptom x y or z and they also include pregnancy in this. And then they look at various factors. They will look, um, just actually as Amanda brought up in the, her email, she was talking about um, her own cannabis use. She was talking about the safety for the fetus. She was talking about uh, contractions and labor pain. So <clears throat> about um, this report also looks at all these different aspects. Is it safe for the mother? Is it safe uh, for uh, the baby? Is it safe for the child when it um, when it grows up? And um, the last report in 2017 gave some outcomes on that. But after that, new studies appeared uh, that said gave other information. So one of the most important um, outcomes of the report that was also very heavily debated uh, was that people who use cannabis during, and this is for mothers, eh? if you look at what fathers do, because that's also very important, you get really different outcomes. Um, but back to the mother. So if the mother uses cannabis um, during, um, uh, and, uh, and we're talking about smoking cannabis during the pregnancy, um, this report said that there's a substantial evidence of a statistical association between the maternal cannabis smoking and a lower birth, birth weight of the offspring. However, not, not long after that, the CDC actually did a study in uh, more than 9,000 uh, mothers and did not find any difference in birth weight. Birth weight sorry. So... And what was the, the number of people in that first study? How many moms had they? That was um, a collection of uh, different studies that were done. Okay. So I, I actually did not count them okay. up, but that was a collection of studies. Uh, but yeah, another study then says, well, there is no difference. Everything should be piled up. 
to see what what the eventual outcome is and what the quality of the studies are, et cetera, et cetera. But there's debate between, yes, there might actually be a lower birth weight or, well, we didn't find anything. And we don't know anything because this is this is coming back to the issue of filling that stupid question during Canify. How do you ask people how much they use during pregnancy? And is there a difference between people using this product or that product or this dose and that dose? We don't know all these differences. So there is already debate whether there is actually lower birth weight. But then if there would be, we also don't really know what would cause that. If that is just, yeah, if it's cannabis use, but what is the cannabis? We don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because as someone who believes in my own power to heal myself and, you know, being able to lean more on being hopeful and being positive and, you know, focusing on getting enough sleep and drinking a lot of water. And like, I feel like there's so many of these other things that we can do. And if I needed to microdose cannabis, I would do it and feel really good about it. And and that intentional mindset period to me can have all the difference in the world. Yeah. So unfortunately that does not help help for everyone and for certain diseases, but yeah, I certainly agree that the mind is so strong and can influence so much uh, with regards to uh, how we feel the, the different, um, how do you say, uh, like symptoms we have, uh, the complaints we have. Actually, that is something among physicians as well. They have certain, certain birth complications or birth complications, uh, uh, more like uh, complications from pregnancy. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of physicians think that some of these are just really mental and 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 not physical but your mental state is also part of your physique um but uh yeah there are um uh, behavioral scientists who actually think that that you can change yourself your body and your genetic makeup merely by being really strong if you really want to change yourself and they think you can change your personality even if you only want to but yeah, no, no it, this is, I mean, this is a really important topic and uh, the, the psychology is super, super important. But of course, yeah, if you, if you, if you get lung cancer when you're 25, it doesn't mean that you weren't happy enough or, <laughs> or mentally strong enough. That's completely unrelated. But yeah, but in, in, in many other cases, um, how you experience things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. And a lot is here. Yeah. So quick question, just because I I find the cultural nuances interesting. You growing up in the Netherlands, what was the attitude around cannabis for pregnancy there where you grew up, where cannabis has just been more of an accepted part of life than it has here? Yeah, yeah. You're asking so many things with this one question because (laughs) really, because the Dutch are are so different from many, many other cultures. And I'm not talking about just the Americans, but they're, they're completely different from, uh, from the French too, for example, and the Spanish in, in terms of um, how you look at medica- medicine and how you uh, 
uh, look at, 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 at treating someone. Um, I actually found um, on that website from beyondthc.com a few of um, the physicians saying things that are also very related to what Dutch physicians would say. So here is a physician called Alan Frankel and it said, I tell my patients to avoid any medicine not critically important and um, name with health, so someone without a name, uh, said, I think the fewer extraneous substances a pregnant female uses, the better, including cannabis. So, and that is actually exactly um, how the Dutch look at medicine in general. If you don't need to do something, don't do anything. So with regards to giving birth, uh, uh, I think, yeah, the Netherlands is the country in, in the whole Western world with the highest rate of home births. Um, people go for natural. People go for uh, no medication. Um, it was not until... I think I think six or seven years ago that it became a right in the Netherlands for a woman uh, to get anesthesiology. So let's say, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, pain medication. Like the epidural before pregnancy, is that what you mean? Okay. Exactly. To okay. give get, get an epidural during labor. Well, that they didn't have that right before. No, no. Whoa. Not at all. <laughs> no, you, you just give birth. And if there's no medical complication, that's what you got to do. And uh, even after it became a rule, I mean, I have had friends giving birth and uh, the hospitals does not used to it. So because there needs to be an infrastructure with an anesthesiologist there who can actually give this epidural. And um, but they don't like it. They still don't like it. So I have friends who gave birth and who asked for an epidural and they said, yeah, 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 yeah. we, we will uh, we will get the anesthesiologist for you. And then no one comes. No one comes. Can I please get an epidural? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're coming. And then at some point, oh, now you're too late. Uh, now you have to push. <laughs> it, it is on paper. It's all right. But it doesn't mean that people actually get it. So. Yeah, that is an extreme in the Netherlands. Now, back to cannabis and pregnancy. Well, it might not surprise you that people, uh, yeah, just don't want any substances. Um, it, it's crazy, actually. To me, it was crazy to see here that when I moved to the United States and I had so, yeah, co-workers who just had a little fever or some, some, some um, uh, flu, that they said, yeah, I'm going to the pharmacy. I thought, what are you going to do at a pharmacy? Or I'm going to see a doctor. Why would you see a doctor? And all of you just stay home until you're better. And that's it. And, and, and you take medication where you're about to die. Uh, antibiotics, another thing, are almost never given until you're really, yeah, almost, yeah, very, very injured or almost dying. Because they are also afraid of um, uh, resistance uh, by, um, uh, by bacteria uh, to uh, antibiotics. Uh, which is very different in France, for example. But um, yeah, uh, back to the cannabis. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Netherlands has uh, tolerates cannabis, and they have been for for decades. Um, but this also actually coincides with a much lower um, cannabis use than other countries where it's forbidden, uh, like like in France. So the people are not really familiar with um, the uh yeah the notion that it can help against morning sickness people just don't know and it's not something that people commonly speak about it's not really a thing 
it sounds like the attitude there is that cannabis is just for fun and recreational and it's not really thought of as a wellness tool. Definitely. And you can also see that back in the environments where you buy cannabis. I mean, of course, I'm not not saying there are no patients because there are sufficient cannabis patients in the Netherlands. Uh, but tip, traditionally, you get your cannabis in a coffee shop. A coffee shop is not like a cafe or something. A coffee shop is really a place that is only meant for cannabis consumption in the Netherlands. So don't, if you're, if you're ever visiting, don't ask for a coffee shop if you just want to have a cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> so in that kind of setting, that is where you buy your cannabis. If you go in the United States and you want to buy your cannabis, you can choose so many different entourages from stores that, that, looks super clean and very medicinal actually that's very different yeah it is um the thing that i do like about the coffee shops in amsterdam is i mean it's like going to a bar except you know you there's no booze to buy you you just belly up to the bar choose your strain roll a joint order a mint tea which is hot water with mint leaves in it for you know five euro but it's it's great. It's a great experience. I love it. But it is it's something that I wish we had here. You know, a couple of like Mo Greens in San Francisco, I like that they have the, you know, you go through the quote unquote dispensary part and then you can sit in the lounge. That's one of the closest things to that Amsterdam cafe experience that I think we have here. Yeah, it's very, uh, very different. Well, what about you? What was your experience with cannabis growing up in the Netherlands? Like you ended up getting a PhD in cannabis pharmacology. So did you have a relationship with it early on? Were you paying attention to it? How did, what, what got you there? Yeah, so um, I uh, started off with uh, medical biology and chose the side of neuroscience and um uh, I've always been fascinated with uh, all kinds of aspects of neuroscience. And um, when I when I finished my after I finished my master's, I was actually super disappointed because a lot of the research was done in animals, and people said, "Oh, you'll get used to it," but I did not. I just felt so sorry for the animals, and I'm not saying I'm against animal research, um, but I saw that a lot of the research is um, uh, not always translatable to humans. Um, and I, yeah, I just, I just didn't want to work with that. I had really big trouble. So that's when I, um, started looking into clinical pharmacology, start uh, starting to study directly on humans and, uh, trying to translate between species and so on. And at the time I started, I, um, I told the, the research center where I worked that I was, that I really, really, really wanted to study, uh, neuroscience and they had, um, various, uh, types of, um, uh, work. And one important one was, um, a new field of cannabinoid antagonists. That is something that has been dormant for the last decade, but it's coming up again. Um, and at the time, um, the cannabis antagonists were uh, being developed for uh, obesity treatment and metabolic disorder treatment and addiction treatment, uh, smoking addiction uh, treatment. And um, to study these antagonists in healthy volunteers, you will not you will not get any acute effects if you study that in these people. Um, but if you if you stimulate the cannabinoid system, so you make people feel high, 
uh, and you give this antagonist, then you can actually measure, does it work? Does it block the THC effects? And that is how uh, I, got it. Uh, I got to start with it. I started talking with various companies who are interested in all kinds of administration methods, including chewing gum, and started studying the sublingual, the uh, oral, the vaporization, um, uh, different, uh, more mechanistic studies uh, with, with fMRI, et cetera, et cetera. So that, that is, that is um, how I started uh, studying this. Nice. Well, I was curious because I'm like, okay, she grew up in a place where cannabis was, mo- it seems like it was probably talked about way more than it was here. I don't know that you can get a PhD in cannabis pharmacology in the United States. Can you? Um, probably nowadays there might be uh, options. Yeah, I, I, I think so, uh, depending on the studies that are starting. But I would, uh, if people have questions, let me know, because I would know a few universities that they <laughs> might, uh, they could go to. All right. Yeah. If any of the tribe wants to Follow in Dr. Linda Klumper's footsteps. She can uh, point you in the right direction. I also want to say uh, that I think that if something is normal for you, um, it's, you know, an outsider might, might, might think all kinds of things about what they see about your culture if you're not used to it. If you're in the middle of it all, um, if, uh, if, you, if you have Black classmates then that is normal and you don't even see they are black they're your classmates or your friends you don't see it if people are just using cannabis around you it's a normal thing if if your friends are gay it's not strange and i see that um that that's in the united states there are places where there's a very different exposure uh to uh, for example different cultures sexualities uh substance use, et cetera, et cetera. And then if you are adult and you see that for the first time, you might be surprised. Like I, I am, I, if you, I came to the United States when I was older and I see things happening here and I think, oh, that's weird. And then people <laughs> think it's normal. So you don't even notice it. So it's not like this thing that you are in awe about or surprised about or that you treat in a different way. Um, so I just wanted to, to note that if it's around you and if it's normal, um, you speak about it in a different way. It's not all secret. You just get education on what drugs do to you, um, on how to use drugs responsibly and all these things. So yeah, it's different. Yeah. And I do appreciate that thought and that insight. And of course, that's why I like to tell the end of this show, like, if this resonated with you, share it with somebody else. Like we need things to be more normalized so the dialogue can happen, so that the research can happen, so that someone doesn't have to be afraid to see if I have THC in my system, will Child Protective Services yank my baby from me as soon as it's born? Like you shouldn't be afraid to look up that information. And speaking of, That's one thing. So say, you know, she was talking about cannabis during labor. If you haven't consumed, now I know cannabis for pain is more like chronic pain, like my neck, my shoulders, this sort of thing, like acute pain and cannabis, that's, that's not your jam. In fact, to me, I think it might make your pain 
feel a little more heightened. So talk about your thoughts on um, consuming cannabis during labor. Say you didn't get that epidural and you're like, oh my God, give me, <laughs> I need a dab fast. Oh, that, yeah, that is such a hard topic because uh, you actually already said it. Um, uh, cannabis does typically not help against acute pain. So some people might think, okay, then I'm going to use it uh, against my anxiety because I'm so scared of pain or, or whatever. But now we're talking about uh, two different effects, um, namely anxiety and pain. Uh, that are both very dose dependent. They both um, know sometimes something we call in pharmacology a biphasic effect. That means if you take a little bit of THC, uh, the effect might not be high enough. And you don't notice it. Take a little bit higher, you might get a positive effect, an effect that benefits you. But if you go over a certain threshold, that's different for everyone. Uh, you might actually get the effect back and maybe even harder. So with anxiety on average above seven and a half milligrams of THC, according to some studies might make people more anxious. Uh, and, and don't, don't, don't take this black and white because for everyone's different. Um, and some people might even be way more sensitive to the effects. But uh, what I'm trying to show is that we're not talking about a medicine that you know exactly what the dosing is and exactly know what potential effects to expect. Um, for pain, the same. If you use a, a high dose of THC, you might actually worsen the pain. So I'm not so sure, um, yeah, whether the whether THC or cannabis is actually really going to help against labor pain. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that. You, so true. Because I know with, because I, I medicate for anxiety mostly. And there are, and I really think it's more of understanding the terpene profile of the, the strains. Because there are some times where I'm just like, my anxiety gets amped up to an 11. I'm like, well, that wasn't helpful. Um, and then it's like, I got to get up. I need to go for a walk or something. So yeah, knowing being really clear about that before you get in that moment because i cannot imagine you know taking a huge you know dab or something you know on my way to the hospital and then having a freak out session when i'm trying to deliver a child yeah a freak out <laughs> or what you said uh had uh why you didn't wake and bake today uh you might lose your focus and um, what you hear from many women giving birth is that it's so important to be in your own world and to really focus on what you need to do. Uh, I had mm -hmm. a, I have a friend who gave birth uh, a few months ago uh, for the first time, and uh, they were actually getting the, the vacuum pump. And she thought, vacuum pump? No way. I don't want that. And when the doctor was away and, um, and, and the, the, let's say the midwife was on her phone, she thought she was so focused, like, I'm getting this child out. And then she, she shouted, gave this push, and in two pushes, the child was out. And and that shows me you really need this focus, the dedication and the focus. And if, if you take any substance that can take that away, I can only imagine it can get much harder. Yeah. It's just thinking out loud now. This is not a science. <laughs> well, no. And of course, but this is what I want. Whenever we have, you know, you have the background in science 
And so to have these conversations and just like play it out, because this is what these women are thinking, you know, like, okay, well, what if I did this and then this happens or whatever? That's what we do as women. We, you know, we think through everything. We try to connect to all the dots and make sure that we are wholly prepared for this experience before it starts. And frankly, we can't necessarily be prepared for something before it starts, but, you know, we're going to do our damnedest, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. I can only imagine uh, uh, this. Uh, yeah, but but what I think is <clears throat> is most important because we're talking about uh, a lot of people say this is all natural. Yes, um, that's also what they say in the Netherlands. It's uh, um, it is a natural process. It's not medical, and therefore we're not giving you an epidural because it's not a medical condition giving birth. Uh, fact is uh, that. Uh, yeah, the whole pregnancy and um, giving giving birth is um, uh, all in a an ele- has has a elev- elevated medical risk, and you are talking with physicians and with healthcare professionals to get this all done. Therefore, I think if people are considering using cannabis during pregnancy, the most important thing is to discuss it with your healthcare practitioner. And if this is not possible. Yeah, it's it's just so important to understand. Are these people here because they want to um, they want to make their point, or are these people here to help you and to give you uh, the safest experience and really think along in a rational way and are able to uh, to talk with you about the science, etc.? Uh, I think that that is really really important. Um, to uh to to know and also um for yourself to mentally prepare what am i going to do if my doctor is going to respond this way or that way uh but i think that the conversation is the most important uh point but i you know i'm not naive i know exactly that some doctors uh, find their own opinions more important than what their patients think to give a super concrete example in the netherlands um it is legal to have euthanasia and um my grandparents were, uh, they're both deceased now, but they were with uh, a general practitioner that was um, reformed Christian. And when my grandfather was at the end of his life, uh, he had suffered from a lot of pain. He wanted to do euthanasia. And then the doctor said, if you want to do that, I don't want to be the one doing it. And after you die, I do not want to treat your wife anymore. So that is someone who is really acting from uh, a personal opinion rather than um, what is the medically the best solution. Because if you say, if you, you don't want to do the euthanasia is one thing, but then saying, but then I'm also not going to treat your wife anymore has nothing to do with this medical condition or whatsoever. Yeah. That's judgmental as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's very well phrased. So <laughs> yeah. So what I'm just trying to say here is uh, Doctors are humans, and uh, I think it's very important to uh, not just prepare the conversation really well for yourself. I think it is super important to discuss it with your healthcare practitioner, uh, to really discuss the pros and cons, uh, but also to be prepared on uh, maybe these type of reactions. Yeah, and I think that is the fear that so many women have in the beginning is, am I going to be judged for just bringing up this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know there's a lot of cannabis doctors and nurse practitioners that do telehealth calls across the country. Are there any that you've worked with that you really like that you might 
that we might include in the show notes as a recommendation. I mean, I have a couple here, but not any that I know necessarily that work with women that are looking to get pregnant. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm not sure about uh, specifically women that get pregnant. Um, I do know doctors that will help, let's say, uh, a wide range of patients. Um, and yeah, it's so dependent on where you are. But I'm not aware of anyone uh, specifically for women and pregnancy. I'll do a little bit of homework before the show airs and see if I can find somebody and include that in the show notes. Um, so we've kind of talked through thinking about getting pregnant, being pregnant, going through labor. So now like postpartum depression. Have y'all done any studies on this? Do you have any literature that talks about cannabis for postpartum? Yeah. So um, uh, if we talk about depression in general, um, some people think, oh, when I use cannabis, I feel better. I feel happy. It must be an antidepressant, uh, which is true for the acute effects. Uh, on the long term, actually, cannabis use is associated with a higher chance of developing uh, depressive disorder. Um, for postpartum depression, unfortunately, no studies have been done. Uh, there, we know from the from the literature uh, that there is um, a statistically higher um, number of people with postpartum depression using cannabis, but you don't know if that's the chicken or the egg. You don't know if people are using the cannabis because of the depression or whether they are suffering from this depression uh, because of current or prior cannabis use. Because uh, typically the people who use cannabis after their pregnancy have been using it during their pregnancy and before their pregnancy. Um, so unfortunately, there are no data on that. I would be super careful um, with that, just knowing that cannabis can actually uh, is associated with a higher chance of developing depression. Um, it is just not known. But I think that if you suffer from a postpartum depression and you're considering cannabis, always make sure you do this together with a healthcare professional just to monitor your your own um, yeah, mood, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It should definitely not get worse. Yeah. And I will say that just from my own experience of having my endocannabinoid panel run against my DNA that, you know, I learned that that is another issue. Like some people, cannabis lifts them out of a depression and some people it can cause them to be depressed. So another thing that I would encourage any woman to do that's in this situation and they're not sure if cannabis is going to be their friend during pregnancy is to have an endocannabinoid panel run with your DNA, know exactly how cannabis works in your body. And, you know, knowledge is power. The more data points we give ourselves, you know, the better we can, uh, you know, paint this foundational picture of what this could look like for us in a way that will be beneficial for both us and the unborn child. Yeah, I think definitely uh, as long as you do everything together with a trusted healthcare professional, with a psychiatrist in the, in, in the case of uh, postpartum depression, um, the, yeah, the, if you look at the literature just broader eh, than just uh, looking at cannabis, um, the chances are uh, best uh, for not developing uh, a postpartum depression 
of course it's for a large part genetic uh, but the chances are best uh, for um, uh, for 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 the symptom treatment um, if you have a good social network if you have a good and, and that's hard especially uh, right now during coronavirus but if you have a social network of friends who are supportive to you of family you can fall back to don't do this alone uh, make sure you have have your friends ready and be there for you um, that and, and to help you with everything that is that's the i think the best medicine so far oh yeah Fresh air and friends. I mean, they that solves so much. So let me ask you one thing. So I know that you had applied for a grant to study THC and CBD ratios for medical efficacy in chronic pain patients. What's the status of that? Are you are you starting this new study? Is this going to wait till 2021? I'm curious. Oh, what a timing of you asking this. This has been <laughs> really, really, this has been so frustrating. So... Just to give you a big little history, we sub we submitted this grant uh, with three parties. Uh, the Center of Human Drug Research, which is an, um, a research organization in Leiden, the Netherlands. The Leiden University Medical Center, which is an academic hospital in Leiden, the Netherlands. And Miss Linda Klompers. So uh, these three parties submitted the grant back in February, February 25th, 2020. And only, we are now in September, late September 2020. Only last uh tuesday did i hear that it was approved so i'm so happy yay hey congratulations thank you we're so excited to get started so what we're gonna do is a few things um we're going to indeed look at different thc cbd ratios in healthy volunteers and we're going to look in chronic pain patients and we are going to try uh, to do some phenotyping because this, this is a theme you will hear all the time about when you talk to me. And we also talked about it earlier. Everybody is different. So if you give um, THC CBD to patients with pain, let's say half the group will say, oh, this works great. And half the group will say, I don't feel anything. So you want to know upfront what is going to work for who. Um, and um, about the planning of the study. So uh, we're going to have our first uh, call about that uh, next week, actually. And um, we hope to include the first subjects in the second quarter of 2021. Very nice. This is one that's near and dear to my heart because I have the chronic pain issues. I've got all of the genes for inflammation, lovely enough. And so, you know, I just wake up and I hurt. And, you know, it's like you're trying to do all of these different things to just give myself just a better baseline experience. You know, I drink, people are always wondering what the hell I'm drinking. And it's like, you know, I put cherry juice in all of my drinks because it's good for inflammation and trying to drink lots of water and get a shit ton of sleep and you know, and I upping my CBD intake because I realized that my body doesn't um, produce enough of that on its own. And so anyway, I'm just trying to figure all this out. And so I'll be curious to read the research and, and see what you come up with. And if you need another guinea pig, maybe I could be it. <laughs> Where are you? Where are the patients going to be from? Is it going to be an international study? I mean, since you are working in both U.S. and Netherlands. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, it will be uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, the okay. first study will take uh, 25 patients 
Uh, we don't need more. Um, we always take as few people as possible because uh, these are experiments. So um, you always want to expose as few people as possible uh, to bother as few people as possible. Uh, the first study will be a, a very extensive set uh, of a pain battery, uh, which uh, some people might love to undergo. Uh, those people we need to exclude because we don't <laughs> want people who love to get pain. <laughs> we, do, do, we do attract them. Um, so the first study will have around 25 patients. Second study will have two or healthy volunteers. And the second study will have around 200 patients. So if by any chance people from the Netherlands are listening, this might be interesting for them. Uh, people are farther, farther away um, yeah, will not be able to be included, unfortunately. But, you know, uh, the outcomes will be shared with everyone. That's right, baby steps. And so this will just help with the stuff that you're doing on Canify. So let's um, let's wrap up with that. So we talked about Canify a little bit. One of the features that you have on Canify now is that patients can create an account. So not only do you fill out the survey, but literature that is relevant to you and different thing that you study, you can kind of group all that stuff together and create your own little educational hub, if you will. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So all the data uh, will be um, uh, saved for your account in an anonymous fashion and you can retrieve them. And we're also going to make a, a journal function so that people can actually uh, over time um, fill in what did they use, how were the effects, et cetera, et cetera. And for now, it's really you can uh, take the test different time points and see if if you change because people do change. Symptoms do change. People People's lives do change. So that's correct. We also have an overview of, um, well, it's uh, close to 2,000 products in our database right now that people can scroll through to uh, just see what is out there. Mm -hmm. Is there anything I didn't ask you that's important to add to this conversation or maybe something you want to promote? Uh, no, I think uh, that uh, what is what is the most important for now is that uh, people who are uh, thinking of pregnancy or are being pregnant, that they really know that there is not a very black or white answer um, with regards to the consequences for the mother or the consequences of the child. And that it's very important to, together with the doctor, to weigh the risk and um, benefits and see um, what is the best way to, um, to, to treat symptoms if they come up. Um, but to really find someone they can talk to. That is the most important thing. Don't hide this for a healthcare professional if you don't have to. And I think you should never have to. Uh, but of course, um, I don't want to be naive either. Um, and there are regulations here and there that are uh, tough. Uh, no, uh, Canify indeed is, uh, is, is what I do. And I hope to help many people with it. In fact, we have already helped thousands of people with Canify. And I'm really, really happy with that. We want to do a better job. If you have any questions or any comments, uh, let me know. We're with a little team. So, uh, you know, things go as fast as they can. Um, we have big, big ambitions, uh, but uh, indeed baby steps, as you say. We also want to do things thoroughly, um, and uh, doing things thoroughly takes quite some time. Well, and that's one of the things that I appreciate about you the most. You're going to do it. You're going to do it right, and um, and present all the information and not blow smoke up people's asses. So, you know, as a girl from Texas, I appreciate that. But I think the hippie in me would 
leave all of this by saying, yes, consult your medical professionals, but like meditate on this shit. Talk to your partner about it. Make sure you and, you know, the co-parent in this situation that you're on the same page because you need to feel supported in whatever decision you make. And if you think that cannabis is helping you during the experience, you need to feel like not only you're not hiding it from your doctor, but you're not hiding it from your partner or your friends or your family. So making sure that you and your support system are on the same page as well is huge. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, talking is super important, involving your healthcare professional and also your friends, really. Well, I have appreciated chatting with you so much. I appreciate who you are and, you know, you... I remember whenever we did the um, the women's empowerment, um, Power of V talk, yes, and I started the thing off and said, you know, it's so great to see all of you lovely women, and you were like, um, yeah, we all better be smart. Like, <laughs> you're like, who gives a shit about lovely women? Like, we are smart, powerful women, and it just like stuck with me, and I was like, Yep, she's right. She's totally right. So I love that about you. You just say what you're thinking, and um, it's nice to know another straight shooter. So cheers to you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I take that all as compliments. Uh, I, I was not meaning to offend anyone because you we're did talking. It. <laughs> Power women. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, so that, that's that was the context in which I said that. Uh, I unfortunately am not very good at uh, not offending people, especially here. Uh, that's a big cultural difference, by the way, uh, being more direct. Uh, and, and it also means I often don't get subtleties of people here. So if I'm ever not, if you see I'm not understanding you, just please say it in a different way. Do my best. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's That's important for people to understand, just like these cultural differences between, you know, you coming to the U.S. as a grown woman, you know, Ph.D. scientist and entering in not only a new culture in Colorado, but the cannabis culture is totally different. So, you know, there's there's lots of nuances to all of this, but I think you're surfing it beautifully. Mm, thank you. It's It's fun to do. It's really fun to do. And it was really fun talking to you today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, Linda. So, yeah, that cannabis and pregnancy discussion is a smoky shade of gray. So I want to leave you with this reminder. You are the authority of your own health and well-being. Set yourself up for success by doing the homework and talking it out with your partner or person. You get clear on what feels like the best plan for you first. We are all precious snowflakes, and you know your body best. Make time to understand the nuances of your relationship with cannabis. And when you're feeling good about it, bring it to your doctor to have the discussion. And like Dr. Callie suggested to us in Podcast 149, find relevant peer-reviewed journals and take them to your doctor and ask questions about the studies. You know, speak their language. And don't be afraid to ask all of your questions. Be curious and open to hearing what your doctor has to say. 
and also be open to finding a new doctor if you feel judged or uncomfortable. I'll be sure to include links to cannabis doctors and nurse practitioners in the podcast 155 show notes at casuallybaked.com. I'll also include links to the basic Canify quiz that Linda and I discussed and more on the ECS genetic panel. Both of these resources will help you better understand your current consumption habits and how cannabis works with your body. Linda and her team are continuously researching cannabis and cannabis products, and they share those scientific insights with you at canify.us. The cannabis industry as a whole is great at providing educational resources to help you develop a highly responsible relationship with the plant. Uh, Yours truly is one such resource. So don't be shy. Email me your can of curious questions through the website at casuallybaked.com or DM me on social. I'm at casuallybaked on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Amanda, we may have left you with more questions than answers, but I feel confident we've dropped the breadcrumbs you need to navigate the right path for you. Please share this podcast with anyone questioning their cannabis consumption. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please rate and review Casually Baked on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That action helps others find this highly responsible cannabis content. And last but certainly not least, please consider becoming a podcast patron for as little as $5 per month. Head over to patreon.com backslash casually baked and puff puff pass it on. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down. down.